2: Because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, even three, and he says, uh, even 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses withal. That's a tremendous amount of gold and silver, brass, iron, and so forth. He's, and he says that he prepared it with all his might. He said, I have all my might. You see, David, and he talks about the amount that was over and above. He says, with all of his wealth, that the construction it took so much power from him. He says, I, it was all my might. And we ask the question, say, well, David, how'd you do that? How, how did you do that? How did you do that? And he, he how did you get yourself to that place? And how were you able to prepare with all your might all that wealth for the construction of a temple that you'd never even see? And David would say, how could I give, all, how do I give all your worth? Because I filled my mind with a vision. I filled my mind with a vision that I would never see. He says, I gave 3,000 talents of gold. That was the over and above part. That's 225,000 pounds of fine gold. He says, the over and above part for the silver is 7,000 talents of silver. That's a half a million pounds of fine silver pure silver, and so he responds to this, and he says, I did it because I set my affection uh, to the house of my God. He said it didn't come naturally to take this quarter of a million pounds of gold and this half a million pounds of silver to build the temple. He He said I had to set my affection to the house of my God, and Boaz was able to speak first about God instead of work because Boaz set his affection to the Lord his God, and, we're ta- and that's why Colossians, Colossians 3, 2, when it says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. It's, it's one simple reason. We're alive to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are dead to the things of the world. That's death. We're to set our interest on the Lord Jesus Christ and to put to death our interest on the things of the world. Before a person watches pornography, he has to be interested in Pornography. Before a person engages in fornication, he has to be interested in fornication. Before a person seeks the Lord Jesus Christ in the Scriptures and prayer, he has to be interested in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we control our interests. We are told, set our affections, set our interests on the Lord Jesus Christ, on things above. And, and Galatians 3.5 says, it says, put to death your interests, On the things of the earth. Put to death your interest in pornography, fornication, covetousness, and so forth, because those are dead things. And you're alive to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Boaz worked on setting his affection and his interest on Jehovah Jesus. It took discipline. He was a busy man. And who's more busy than the king of Israel? But as busy as he was, God instructed the king to be a man of discipline and to set his affection on God. As a matter of fact, God was very specific in his instructions to the king, and most of the time, the kings, most of the times the kings ignored God's specific instructions for the kings, but God said to the kings in Deuteronomy 17, 15 through 20, he said, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren, shalt thou set the king over thee, It may not be a stranger over thee, not thy brother, But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt. To the end, they might multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, you shall not henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. This this is written by Moses long before Solomon. Neither shall he greatly multiply himself silver and gold. It shall be when he sits on his throne of the kingdom, he'll write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests of the Levites. It'll be with him, he'll read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand, to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days of his kingdom. See, God said the king should not multiply horses to himself. So what did the kings do? They multiplied horses to themselves. <laughs> God said the king should not have more than one wife. So what did all the kings do? They had more wives. God said shouldn't multiply silver and gold to themselves and they did that. See, it was almost as if God wanted them to, to not multiply horses and have wives and silver and gold that God should have told them to go multiply horses and go have many wives because <laughs> they were bent on doing the opposite. See, and those are the things that the king was not to do. Then he said, now this is the thing that the king should do. And he said, and when he sits on his throne, he says, he gets him a pen, quill, and he starts copying. He says, the king should copy that. He shouldn't say, you're a scribe, you copy from me. No, God says, the king himself should write out every Hebrew character perfectly and make sure it's absolutely accurate as, as the Jews have a way of doing that. And then it says that it's that copy, and he doesn't put it away someplace, oh, I already did that. He says, no, he he stays with them all the time. The copy of the law that he's written, it stays with them all the time, and he reads therein day and night. Can you imagine if we did this? If you didn't go down to your Bible bookstore and bought a Bible, but you bought a book of the same number of pages, but all blank, and then you said, okay, now, your job, rewrite this, just write it word for word. (laughs) That's your book, and that's the one that stays with you. And that's the one that you read all the time. There's something, when you write something down, you say, that's really mine. He said, that's what you gotta do. No, no, no Gutenberg Press. You just write it yourself. And he says, you keep that and you read it all the days for one person. You have to learn. Learn to fear the Lord. Learn to not be proud. Lift it up above your brethren. That book will do that for you, God said. This book will do that for you. This book will show us the sin that we're in, this book will show us the salvation, the way out, the escape that God has given us so that we don't have to face hell, so that we don't have to be lost and lonely and in darkness and in pain and suffering for all eternity in hell. This book is the direction for the escape, and God says, you take this book and you just put this in your heart and you will come the way that God has designed out of your sin into God's salvation through Jesus Christ, who he sent as the great ladder. That's Jacob's ladder. The Lord Jesus Christ is Jacob's ladder from earth to heaven. And so he said, now do that. 100% occupation with the word. And Boaz was an example of that. He was 100% occupied with God. All that interested Boaz was God. You cut through Boaz and you find an interest in God. And when Boaz says to his reapers, the Lord be with you, Boaz he wasn't in a synagogue when he said that. He wasn't by some altar when he said that. He was at work, and he's talking that way. He's a man who didn't play church. He's a person who, who didn't act Christianity. He was real, and because Boaz took those instructions in Deuteronomy 17, he says, well, if it's good for the king, it's good for me, and so in verse four, when he speaks to his reapers about God, he, he, they hear Boaz, and when he says about it, he's actually a prayer, he says, the Lord be with you. That's a prayer. That's a prayer he's praying, the Lord be with you. That's the foremost desire in Boaz's heart, that the Lord should be with his reapers. What a great encouragement to the reapers. The reapers, they follow his lead. They say, okay, the boss talks about God. Wants you. So they say, the Lord, the, the reapers return, the Lord. And, and they pray for Boaz. The Lord bless you. And what a beautiful picture we have here of Boaz and his reapers. We see Boaz says to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And the reapers return back. The Lord bless thee. And Boaz and his reapers, you know what they are? They're just united. They're just together in their dependence on God. Boaz and his reapers are united because they're saying these two vital words that, that open up God's mercy, that open up God's grace. There's only two words that opens up the mercy and grace of God for any person. And those words are help me. And if anybody cries out to God from the depths of his heart, help me, God says, all right, now we can begin. In essence, those are the two words behind this. The Lord bless bless you. The Lord be with you. Help me. Help them, Lord, by being with them. Help him, Lord, by blessing him. Simple prayers made by Boaz and the reapers united them in their understanding that all the good, all the blessing that would come to him was gonna come from God. So as we move through this book of Ruth, we see more than just a history of, of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. We see historical analogies. and We see a history of ourselves, and we see the Lord Jesus Christ in these people. And as we see ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ, phrases in these verses just come alive to us, and we grab a hold of them. You know, words that Ruth said, we see in those words, those are my words to God. And we say, those words that Boaz says, we said those words are just too close. Those are God's words to me. And we move through this history, we see impressive verses. We pick them up, pick them out of there. We say, oh, those are dear to me. And one of those phrases we see as is Ruth, is, as she's just overwhelmed with, the, with, with Boaz, and the, the, the welcome that he's given to her. He says, don't leave my fields in verse eight. I'm gonna give you a preferred position in the work here among my maidens, in verse 8. I'm going to give you protection, in verse 9. I'm going to give you water, in verse 9. And she's just overwhelmed with this gratitude. And she asks the question, why, in verse 10, why have I found grace in thine eyes? And we understand why Ruth is asked this question of Boaz, because Ruth is saying to Boaz, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? I'm a stranger. It's that phrase in verse 10, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that we say it's our question to the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at ourselves, and we look at ourselves, we're first coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that our position was poor and lost and far from God. Before we're saved, we see that our condition was defiled, dirty on the inside. We look at our direction, heading straight for hell, right down the middle of the road to hell. We see that our interests were ABC, anything but Christ. We see that our lives were foreign to God, were foreign. And then we came to see that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us to save us from our sins. And we see in verse 10 how Ruth took the words right out of our mouths. When we said, why have I found grace in thine eyes? God, why have you looked at me with grace when I treated you with such contempt, with such offense? Why have you done that? Lord, why did you care for me when I didn't care anything about you? Lord, why have I found grace in thine eyes? And Ruth understood that Boaz had taken the time to study and to understand what Ruth's needs were. And Boaz had specifically provided for Ruth's needs. That's what's meant when she said that thou, in verse 10, that thou takest knowledge of me. And the Lord, the Lord did that for us. He studied each one of us. He provided for each one of our individual needs. When we see how God specifically took care of us, it may or may not be an answer to prayer, But we know that God stepped in to take care of us. We do exactly what we see Ruth do in verse 10. She stands back, you took knowledge of me. And Ruth said that she wasn't worthy for Boaz to have taken knowledge of her because she is a stranger. And we feel that way. So unworthy for God to take knowledge of our personal problems, our troubles, that he should care for us. Those words in verse 10, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger right from our mouths. And we speak them back to God. And then we look at the last words in verse 13 that Ruth says to Boaz when she said, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And in our mind, we picture Ruth and she's standing there and she's looking at Boaz and then she's looking at the handmaidens over here of Boaz, and Ruth, look at Boaz, she looks at the handmaidens, and she says, I feel so out of place, I feel so out of place, compared to your handmaidens, there's not one of them like me, what was Ruth thinking when she says to Boaz in verse 13, I be not like unto one of thine handmaids"? we can imagine she's thinking as she's standing there, and she's wearing all the clothes that she possesses. And she's looking over Boaz's handmaidens and they're all wearing those work clothes provided by Boaz and she's thinking, I'm not dressed like them. I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens in how they're dressed. And then she thought about how she wasn't taught like the handmaidens. And she says, I be not like one unto thine handmaidens in how they're they're taught, what they understand. She looks at their mannerisms. I be not like one unto thine handmaidens in my mannerisms. And usefulness, she sees all the handmaidens who are useful for Boaz, and and she says, I'm not useful for you. I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens and how I'm useful for you. And so she thinks of how out of place she is, and she's standing there among the handmaidens of Boaz, and she says, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. That feeling, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens, is how many of us felt when we came to the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time. That's how I felt. In clothing, I, didn't, I looked around the church in 1970 and, and saw conservative dress. Not that I'd see it today, but at that time I did. And, and, and like Ruth, I said, I be not like unto one of these, these Christians when I came to church. In language, I heard these Christians in the church in 1970 say, saying things like, praise the Lord. And like Ruth, I thought to myself, I be not like one of these Christians. And, and, and in knowledge, I saw in in, in Christians in the church, they knew the Bible. They knew the hymns by heart. (laughs) And like Ruth, I thought to myself, I'd be not like one of those Christians. And and being useful for God, I saw those Christians in the church. They were teaching Sunday school or or witnessing to the lost. They were bringing people to church. And like Ruth, I thought, I'd be not like one of those Christians. We know what, what, what she was talking about when she said to Boaz, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. But even though Ruth came so far out of place, so low, she was so much, I don't, I don't belong here. I'm not like the people here. She was so much, I be not like one of thine handmaidens. Boaz took her in, and notice what Boaz says to her in verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, hearst thou not my daughter? Whew. Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Boaz is saying, You'll get it. You come along. Even though Ruth was not like a one of his handmaids, Boaz said to Ruth in verse 8 that you abide here fast by my handmaidens, by my maidens. See, that's the first word for everyone who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how far a person is from being like Christians. The Lord's will are like the words of Boaz. Abide here fast by my maidens. Stay in this church of Christians. In verse eight, abide here fast by my maidens. Make this church of Christians your community. Even though verse 13 is true, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. He says, abide here fast. And as a person stays in the church community of Christians, the Lord is going to work. And that person is going to change like Paul described it in Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then in verse four, Boaz at work in prayer for his reapers, he's praying, the Lord be with you. And now we look at verse 12, and Boaz is continuing his work of prayer. He's a priest. He's praying all the time. And now for Ruth, we see his prayer centers again. He speaks, he says, the Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel in whose wings thou art come to trust. He's praying. He's praying. He's praying. He's all the time praying, this Boaz. And he's praying now for Ruth to be recompensed. The Hebrew word that Boaz used here for recompense is the word shalom, not to be confused with shalom. Shalom. And that was the same word that Elijah used when he gave instructions to the indebted widow what are you gonna do? She says, okay, he says, you go out there, you you get these vessels, just to pour a little bit of oil, it'll keep multiplying, you get a lot of oil. And then it says in 2 Kings 4, 7, then she came and told the man of God, and he, she said, look, all the oil I got. And he said, go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. And then in 2 Kings 4, 7, and she said, and this is the place here." and she said, And he said, go sell the oil and pay shalom thy debt. Pay shalom, shalom, pay thy debt and live thou on the children of the rest. See, to the widow, she was hopelessly in debt and Elijah provided the oil and then he said for her, go sell the oil, use the money to shalom, pay off your debt. So Boaz is sending a message when he uses the same word here, and he says, Shalom, when he says to Ruth, the Lord shalom thy work. The Lord will pay off his debt. See, this time it's not a widow that's in debt, when Boaz is speaking to, but Boaz is saying, It's it's it, it's God who is in debt to you, Ruth. And Boaz is praying that God would pay off his debt to Ruth. Now you say, Well, what's God indebted to? How could God be in debt? <laughs> it's like, I'll be me debt. He say he is in debt. Now, Boaz, verse seven, say, God's indebted to you, Ruth. For what? For thy work. The Lord recompense thy work. What work? What work is God indebted to Ruth for? The work that Boaz described in verse 11. And Boaz answered and said unto her, it hath been fully showed me, all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and are come unto a people which thou knowest not. For the work of caring for the widow Naomi, for the work of caring for the widow Naomi since the time that Ruth's husband died, since the time she became a widow, For the work of caring for the widow Naomi by Ruth, leaving her father, leaving her mother, leaving the country that she was born in. For the work of caring for the widow Naomi by Ruth coming to a foreign people. In verse 11, Boaz was calling the work of caring for the widow Naomi that Ruth did all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law. That's the way he put it. And by using the word shalom, In this prayer, in in, in verse 12, Boaz is saying that, Ruth, when you you did all that work of caring for the widow Naomi, you were getting God indebted to you. You say, how does that work? Why would God be indebted to Ruth for caring for the widow Naomi? God was indebted to Ruth because God said that the work of caring for the widow by relieving him, that's God's work. And he said that in Psalm 146, 9. The Lord... Preserveth the strangers, he relieveth the fatherless and widow. So when Ruth relieved the widow Naomi by caring for her, Ruth did God's work and God was indebted to Ruth. And God said that even though he's in his holy habitation, that he would nevertheless, especially, judge those who afflicted the widow. He said that in Psalm 68 5. He's a, God says, I'm a father to the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. See, God wants us to be like Ruth. He wants us to pray for the widow. That's what he says, Isaiah 117. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow.
1: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God.